When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. We're all off to masturbate. It is Thursday, which means it's time for the Front 3 Q&A podcast. And we had a bowl with the one and only Dave O'Brien. Ooh. The man, the myth, the legend, Chris Hennage. Evening. And uh, Lawrence McGinnis here as well. Oh, good to have you. Thanks. Thanks for being here, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, on tonight's podcast, we're going to be talking the EFL Cup action. We're going to be previewing the FA Cup action this weekend as well as talking some transfers and of course we're going to be answering your questions before all that though as always it's time for whole of the week it, it sounds insulting when you say it like that it does but i think it it just makes sense do you know what i mean call it comment of the week is it's not personal enough to the podcast it has to be the whole of the week hashtag i am the whole it is the listener who deserves who's earned a shout out by reviewing the podcast on itunes uh, it is that simple if you want to be the whole of the week simply rate and review the front three on itunes there is a link in the description of this very podcast it is that simple this week's review of the week goes to scruffy nerf herder great star wars referencing name who said this is a brilliant podcast i love the banter from adam and lawrence along with oh. in-depth analysis from the amazing Statman Dave, as well as Chris Hennage. Love listening and keep up the great work. Scruffy Nerf Herder is the whole of the week. Great review. Cheers, buddy. Nice and simple. Uh, me and Lawrence apparently provide the banter. Uh, no analysis from us. And it's all about Dave and uh, Chris bringing you the uh, the insight, which I think is, is fair enough. I think it's all about Dave. It's all oh, about I'm Chris. <laughs> Yeah, Chris second. Second. Yeah, um, it's, yeah, this comes it's... days after one listener referred to me as the outcast, might I add. Who? Who referred to you as the outcast, Chris? I, I can't remember his name, but he basically said, yeah, the, the chemistry between the the other three is great, but you sometimes feel like the outcast. <laughs> oh, great. Cheers. What? Uh, a harsh... You want to sleep at night anyway. <laughs> Why did he say that? What gave them that impression? Did they explain their, their rationale? Uh, I had asked... Um, how people thought I had hosted and got the strongest of critiques really early on. There was one that suggested I should host a prominent YouTube show that's broadcast live over the internet, but we'll not go into that. I think we're talking about that one. We're talking about. Uh, anyway, guys, let's move swiftly on to talk about the EFL Cup first. Of course, uh, Dave, we should probably talk about Manchester United. Of course, reaching 
the EFL Cup final. Um, but, however, uh, losing their 17-match unbeaten run with defeat at Hull City. Uh, what happened, Dave? God, they were bloody awful. One of the worst performances I've seen all season. They were just atrocious. From back to front, I, I can't honestly say that anyone played well. David De Gea, all right, he didn't really do enough, but didn't make any big saves in there. Back four was atrocious. Chris Smalling looked like he was Bambi on ice again. Rojo just can't play left-back. Darmian was quiet as ever. Into central midfield, Carrick didn't control the game. Under Herrera was a little bit too um, physical. He was, was being a little bit too robust with his tackles. Probably should have been booked a lot earlier than he was. Paul Pogba had a very poor game in terms of controlling the play. Only created one chance. Um, completely. X amount of passes of his 49 just not good enough in that rate and then the front three were absolutely rubbish Jess Lingard was poor Marcus Rashford just couldn't beat David Myler David Myler is a player that's getting a bit old you know not that pace but Rashford just couldn't beat him he was switched to the other side and he did a lot better after about 80 minutes but before then he was absolutely atrocious and up from Zlatan he's having a bit of a poor spell Adam you'll be, be happy to hear that good. he's not played well in the last few games he has obviously Picked up a few goals, but he's been pretty poor with his build-up play. He's not been getting involved at the right time. He's not been drawing players out. He's not been uh, being the Zlatan we saw that went on that run of 10 goals, three assists. It's a little bit concerning for Manchester United, but the performance was atrocious. No positives. No oh, positives but, whatsoever. I mean, see positives to... I mean, what about the I positives think, for Marco Silva? Come on. I think the only thing I can even draw, pull out of this United performance was Paul Pogba's goal, and that is it. You know, Paul, I've talked about Paul Pogba, he needs to get into the box a bit more, he needs to show more of a, killing, a killer instinct in that area. And he took his goal very well. He nicked it in the right time. You know, it was uh, Marcus Rashford dribble. Uh, Tom Huddleston got a good foot on it, dropped back out. And then there, Paul Pogba was sort of near the penalty spot. So I like that. But that was it. That was a single moment in, in a tie 90 minutes of poor play. United did, did not deserve to go through on this half of the tie. The first performance was very good, but away at the KCOM Stadium was atrocious. Absolutely atrocious. Well, let's have a word uh, for Silver then, Chris, because Matt Browning cake right now on Twitter. How good of a job has Silver done at Hull? I mean, famously, infamously, uh, derided by Paul Merson. Why does it always have to be four managers? But, you know, he's done a great job so far, Chris. I think if you look at just the results, it doesn't paint the greatest picture. I think <clears throat> what you can say is, even tonight, they're able to keep the ball very well. The play was a lot of composure and they can build things fairly well. The concern I've got is they keep losing players. So there's talk that Abel Hernandez could leave. They've lost Jake Livermore. And the owners just seem so counterproductive to, to anything that he's trying to do. And even being able to get some decent end product from Umar and potentially Markovic if he kicks on, that could help them a lot. But again, he's, he's, it does seem as if it's one step forward and two steps back for Hull. And, and for Silver himself, I think he's doing a great job. And in that respect, I think even if they go down, he'll probably come away with a fairly positive uh, sort of perception from the whole thing. Or a positive, um, what's the word I'm looking for here, reference, if you will. Yeah, they'll surely be encouraged, though, by even though this was the league game and even though their position is so precarious in the league, uh, to win a game like this shows potentially the character they need uh, to, to fight against the drop, potentially, Chris. It does, because, uh, I mean... Look, there are little daft things like the fact that Harry Maguire is now bringing the ball out of defence that Michael Dawson's playing first-time passes that I wouldn't have tagged him as being able to do. I think for them, as is the case for most of the teams in that position right now, the games against each other is where it'll matter most. And if they can take that composure that they display against the likes of Man United and Chelsea and apply it to there, 
then in theory, they should be really good in those games and should be able to take points. And often it's it's those kind of scenarios that, that set up a good foundation with the odd sort of surprise point here or there, which, again, I could see them picking up against teams in higher positions than them because they're not a bad footballing side at this, this precise moment. In an idea or two more in, though, if I was a whole fan. I mean, can I can I be also given the valuation of Manchester United tonight? I mean, Dave, they were poor on the pitch. And they're also poor off the pitch, uh, or positive, depending on how you see Wayne Rooney's grammar. Wayne said, have, and I'll read it verbatim, have to say, our fans tonight was unbelievable. I agree, they was unbelievable, Lawrence. They, they were, he was in unbelievable. Their heart outs, and they, they dominated for 90 minutes, and that was the only positive display. It was off the pitch in the stands. They're, you know, very good song. There's a new song going around. They seemed all hyped up, even though they were, the team was just absolutely atrocious. So, you know... I've, Credit to United fans once again, and, and maybe Wayne really needs to work on his English a little bit. Most it was they was unbelievable. I mean, maybe maybe yeah. he's preparing for China, and in preparing <laughs> for China, he's writing in Chinese and then translating back to English. Mm, Dave, good skills. Question Smart lad, Wayne. For you at JJ nine two X on Twitter, is the lack of rotation of main players hampering Manchester United now? Ibra, as you already said, Dave, look poor tonight. Same with Pogba. Also, Rojo can't play left back like ever. Mm, I agree. Robo, Rojo can't play left back like ever. He's positionally is atrocious. He's, Maybe he means ever. His timing of his tackle is just so poor. It's like he is lost. It's so weird to see someone be so composed at centre back this season, barring those two footed lunges. Obviously, everyone talks about. He's been very, 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 very good over the last few months. But then when you throw him at left back, he just loses his shit. He just doesn't know what you know. He, he makes the wrong decisions when to overlap, when to drop back, and. For a fullback, that is just criminal, absolute criminal. And yeah, he's very, very poor. But in, in terms of lack of rotation, no, I think the rotation's not been too bad. Um, I think Ebro has shown that he, he's still fit enough to play every single game. I think maybe you could look at his form slightly, but I don't think that's much. You know, that's um, a bigger issue. That's as a bigger issue as, as as made out. But I think yeah, United, the United look fit. I just it's it's so weird sometimes when they play on Thursday nights. We've seen in the Europa League, they just didn't show up. You know, where Fenerbahce didn't show up. There's just been times this season where, you know, way against Feyenoord that they just haven't switched on. And it felt like a similar thing where it felt like a Europa League tie tonight where United went with a plan to sit and defend deep. But there was no option on the counter-attack. Again, there was no one near Zlatan. Maybe that's why Zlatan looked so poor because he couldn't play off anyone. You know, a player that potentially should have started today was Wayne Rooney. One thing that you can't fault Wayne Rooney this season is his link-up with Zlatan has been very, very good. They've got a good understanding of when one of them drops, the other one attacks the space. You know, it's, people have called it for, for most in the season but apart from that he was just he was just very very poor someone like Mkhitaryan uh, sorry I'm going to get shot if I call him his, a real Armenian name but anyway moving on from that yeah pitch you're going to get someone that can counter attack better someone that can carry the ball a bit better than what Lingard and um, Rashford did so I think it's just a capitulation of Thursday night football for Manchester United Hey, the more Zlatan struggles, the better, in my humble opinion. Um, Manchester United, though, reaching their ninth League Cup final. Second only, of course, to Liverpool uh, in the history of the competition. They've obviously reached 12. Wasn't to be 13, though, for the Reds. Lawrence um, beaten Unlucky. by Southampton last night. Uh, Southampton reaching the final. Uh, by all accounts, a fully deserved victory for them over the two legs. Liverpool Absolutely. missing a few chances last night, but... Um, a fair result potentially over the uh, over the tie. Yeah, I definitely think it's fair. Uh, I think uh, maybe South the, the way that Southampton played magnified how poor Liverpool um, were in the sense of they 
they couldn't break Southampton down at all. And when they did, it seemed like a rare occasion when Liverpool put together a very well put together move. And maybe that's also a testament to Southampton, also the fact that Liverpool had to put together um, those moves. But they essentially what they needed was a bit more force. And they didn't um, seem to have the tools to be able to force it in. Frustratingly, because actually I feel a bit like Klopp could have done more to, to lay Liverpool out and give them a bit more of a chance of um, forcing the ball in. Liverpool seemed a bit one-dimensional, not as dynamic as they normally are. In the sense that, uh, if the ball wasn't being crossed in for a, you know, sort of a possible uh, header in, then there didn't seem to be very much in the way of <clears throat> creating anything apart from Coutinho cutting in onto his right foot and trying to curl the ball in. Um, I felt a bit sorry for the Liverpool players. They all got fives or sixes, and uh, they were playing against a team that sat back, and that's fair enough. Uh, you know, I've got no problem with uh, Southampton sitting back, but what I do have a problem with is the fact that then Liverpool don't seem to be able to break them down. And not only that, but the fans seem to get on all those people's backs. It's, um, I mean, it's an interesting one. It feels like there's a lot to unpack in that, you know, uh, storage, as you say, sort of uh, the, the fans got on his back. There were perhaps two clear cut chances that he perhaps should have done better with at the same time. As you're sort think, of implying, think, is it not on? Yeah. Is it not on Klopp potentially to to find a way to to break down these sort of teams when they're disciplined, when Liverpool at home and the onus is on them? I mean, people were talking about how the decision to maybe play Chan and Henderson together in midfield was not the the right approach for this sort of game. I think Chan and Henderson are two very competent midfielders, and actually they complement each other quite nicely when played correctly. But they, they I'm not sure how well they were, how well they played. Do they provide that incisive edge though in midfield when perhaps? you know, players like Mane, who's at the African Cup of Nations, are missing? I think people say that Liverpool miss Mane. I think they do miss his individual skill and they do miss Mane as a player. That's true. At the same time, I also just think that they miss energy in the side when Mane is not around. And I think Henderson and Chan both provide quite a lot of that energy. And when I say energy, I mean moving the ball quickly. Um, Henderson... Uh, tried to move the ball quickly. Chan tried to make more incisive passes out to the wing, out to um, move the ball a bit faster from side to side and move Southampton around. And ultimately that tactic didn't work because Liverpool didn't move the ball quick enough. I see the point mm. of not playing those two together, but also at the same time, I also see the merit of playing those two together. And I think part of the problem was also that Liverpool, while they were forcing the point, were on the night denied to fairly obvious penalties one being a handball with the arm clearly moved towards the ball and the other being the tackle on Origi very late on um so it, it my, my my thing would be everyone's blowing this up to make it look as if Liverpool are on the brink of collapse uh, they sit in a fairly healthy position and not only that they've lost out in games fairly narrowly it's not like a an absolute blowout of course not but when you look uh, the bigger picture is one win now in seven matches this year for Liverpool of course that yeah. win coming against uh, Plymouth Argyle in the FA Cup replay victory at Mighty Plymouth Argyle, Plymouth Argyle. Do you not, <laughs> but do you not think the, the bigger issues and bigger problems are being exposed here I mean I definitely think there are, there's there's exposure but problem I, the thing is, I don't think there'd be, I think the word exposed is a little bit off. You guys all know that for weeks, no matter whether Liverpool have won or lost, I've, I've been saying there have been issues that Liverpool need to address. And if they don't address those, then Liverpool are going to have problems. And frankly, I'm not surprised by the problems that Liverpool have. And I don't think Klopp is either. What I think Klopp is surprised by is, A, the reaction from, from the fans, how quickly they seem to get on Liverpool's back and don't seem to back the side. 
um, either online or in the stadium, and B, the reaction of some of the players who seem to have let their heads drop. And I think he's a little bit disappointed by that because I think there should be more confidence within a squad that was ripping teams apart just a few weeks ago and still is capable of doing so. The frustration comes because Liverpool aren't playing the right tactic, not because they don't have the right tools. And I think that's the, that's the in inverted commas, the problem for Liverpool is that this embarrassment of riches is an embarrassment for Klopp. He's being embarrassed by the fact that he cannot get this side to score, even though they have players more than capable. Origi is a, a very good finisher. You know, he, they should. I, I was thinking last night, Danny Ings is a player that Liverpool are missing right now. A player who can force the ball into the net when you put the ball in the box. And Sturridge isn't necessarily capable of doing that. He slows the play down, sometimes holds onto it too long. And Origi, maybe also not capable of doing that. Uh, I don't think Liverpool, the, the, the idea of getting someone like Benteke back is a great option. Um, and I, I, I also don't think that it should be wholly on Coutinho to make the play. Firmino was poor, but he dropped deep at times and looked a lot more um, incisive. It's, it's a tactical thing for me. It's not a personnel thing, which means that I think that that can change. Well, on that note, let's look ahead to this weekend. Southampton were good, by the way. They were they very could good. Do something against United. They yeah. were very good. Um, deserved winners. Um, but let's oh, look and ahead. Absolutely. And I, I think they'll fuck United up at Wembley. Brilliant. Uh, Dave, do you think luck, Southampton Dave. are going to fuck Man United up at Wembley? Um, could be an interesting one. Southampton have been very hot and cold this season. I think the best two performances this season have come against Liverpool in these two semi-finals. I think Southampton were excellent in the first leg and did very well in the second leg to, um, you know, deal with the Liverpool storm coming forward. But I think Mourinho will have a different plan um, than what Jurgen Klopp. Jurgen Klopp's very, very good at uh, putting his one plan in place. You know, the pressing high octane football. Mourinho has a little bit, a few more strings to his bow. If Southampton do sit that deep, he doesn't get, you know, he will bring someone like Maron Fellaini or North switch to a, a 3-5-2 that he has done when chasing games, playing the likes of Marcus Rashford, Martial will need a wing than playing with two strikers. So um, I think that United should beat the Southampton team. The Southampton team's been a bit hot and cold. They were play, they were very, very good against Liverpool, but in other weeks they've been very poor. So I expect a first trophy for Jose Mourinho. Mm. But uh, saying that, actually, just before we move on, go on, one of the things that my granddad cons- continually reminds me of the first um, FA Cup final that Southampton ever won, I think it was in 1976. And this was when Southampton were in the second division uh, of English football and Man United were, the, were leading the way at the top of the league uh, in the first division. And Southampton won um, from the second division. They won their first ever trophy. Um, so it could happen again. But a little bit of history for you there, guys. I love it. A nice history lesson there from uh, Grandpa O'Brien, maybe? Decent. Um, green, green. Grandpa, apologies. Green. Apologies. Um, Come on, Lawrence. Uh, let's talk about. I believe it was a chap from Gateshead who who won it for him as well. Barry McManamy. If I'm thinking of the right team. Oh, now that is history, Adam. Let's switch into a preview of this weekend's FA Cup action. Then we'll start with Liverpool. Um, makes sense. Uh, they're hosting Wolves in the FA Cup fourth round at Anfield on Saturday. Could it be? Two wins for them in eight, Lawrence. Um, obviously, on paper, Liverpool the better team. Uh, hopefully, uh, you know a few young players can get a chance. The likes of Ben Woodburn, for example. Are you expecting um, a victory this weekend, Lawrence? Oh, the excitement! Uh, Liverpool will fill the younger side, and that will give um, that will give 
with some confidence, confidence, I'd imagine. Um, the, the difficulty with Liverpool is uh, at Anfield at the moment, like I've already said, there doesn't seem to be very much confidence. Um, it would be great to see a Liverpool side, at, from a Liverpool fan's perspective at least, um, who go out there and have a bit more of a confident uh, display, shall we say. Um, but if you look more recently at Wolves, I mean, they've, you know, they've, you know, they've only recently beaten Stoke. I think they put, was it? Yeah, they put Stoke out in the FA Cup just a couple of weeks ago. This is the thing. Um, Wolves have got some talented players, Chris. Could they do some damage? Could they make it another defeat for the Reds? I wouldn't want to go that far at this stage. What I would say is, as, as you alluded to there, they've got some talented players. Helder Costa is someone that I quite like. It looks like they're going to sign him permanently from Benfica. Uh, Ivan Cavallero is is another one who, again, in the championship, for, for a bit of context here, does look quite talented. They're both fairly good on the ball, tricky. And really, the Wolf side in general, it, it's it's Paul Lambert. So it's, it's not maybe the most expansive football you've ever seen but it can be very effective. And, and if they were to adopt a similar plan to, to what Southampton did in midweek, then I could possibly see them taking a lead and maybe giving a bit of a fright. I'd be hard-pressed to commit to a victory for Wolves, though, if I'm honest. They do seem to concede quite a few. Mm. Yeah, that's um, the other thing as well. They're not doing well. They're really not. Chelsea playing Brentford this weekend as well in the FA Cup. Uh, a lot of the coverage in the English newspapers has, of course, been about the return of Josh McEachran uh, to Stamford Bridge, of course, now playing for Brentford. Only, I believe, is he 24 still? Still very young. But, of course, this was a player who came through the Chelsea youth system, was uh, heralded as, a, as one of the wonder kids, was on the verge of moving to Real Madrid at one point, um, as he sort of details in an interview with uh, The Telegraph this week. Um, what do you make of all this, Chris? I mean, Chelsea, of course, favourites, but, as I said, it is all about McKech returning, returning to the bridge. I like Josh McKech, I think he's a very good player. I think... As uh, you know, he said in the interview that he thinks he could still play there now if if he was given the chance. That's quite a bold claim. Um, and yet saying that some of the passes he's put on this season, in fact, I think one in the last round of the Cup, have been Premier League quality without doubt. He, he has a, a very good footballing brain, a very good eye for a pass. And his, his, his range, not just in terms of distance, but I would say in terms of being able to find spaces and, and use his foot. I always use the analogy of Kevin Keegan. He said Fabregas had a, a foot like a bag of golf clubs. It's a similar sort of thing. He can produce a lot of different types of passes. Um, Sorry, I thought, I thought you were going to say, he's got a foot like a tractor engine. <laughs> Traction Tra- engine. Tra- Tra- <laughs> Traction engine. Yeah. It's like a tractor engine. It's part of in more ways than one. Um, but yeah, I, I do think he is very talented. Um, it, it was always going to be tough at Chelsea, realistically. There's there's a lot of players that have, have, have failed there in recent years in inverted commas and, and gone on to decent things elsewhere. Bruma, Van Arnholt. I don't think he'll ever get back to Chelsea, personally. I can definitely see him playing in the Premier League, especially if a team is willing and committed to, to playing him in the role of, of a number 10. Um, I think he's got a similar situation to Tom Carroll, the difference is, is that Tom Carroll got quite lucky and, and didn't have so many injuries, so was able to secure a spot at Swansea, whereas 
Josh obviously had to drop down the league and, and you know start again with Brentford. I mean, on the the youngsters, I mean, we're talking about how this could be an opportunity for Liverpool to play youngsters. Same again with Chelsea. Um, the likes of Loftus-Cheeks, the likes of Chalobah, we'd like to see more of them. Um, do you think Conte will potentially give these these players a chance, Dave? Uh, I think so, yeah. I think he's got to rotate, hasn't he? It's one of the things he's been doing very good this season is managing his squad and playing certain players in certain competitions. I think you know, he's going to be pushing for the Premier League titles, so why not rest a few of the big guns Maybe throw Diego Costa in there. See how he, you know, he obviously come back, scored a goal against Hull City, but maybe just challenge him out again. Um, whether he really wants to be at Chelsea and whether he really wants to play in the FA Cup with a weak inside, just throw him into that situation. I'd rest Eden Hazard, give him a little bit of a break because he's he's dropped out a little bit of form of recent weeks. You know, he's been very very good for this season, but he's a little bit below those high standards that he was setting early doors. So yeah, maybe give him a bit of rest and um, get the likes of Willian uh, to be the creative hub. So yeah, I think that there will be a rotation there for the you know the push for the Premier League title. Elsewhere, Tottenham welcoming Wickham Wanderers to White Hart Lane. The beast, Chris, added by Joachim Fairmore, making his way uh, to Spurs. Um, Wickham not doing too badly in League Two this season, has to be said. No, uh, Gareth Ainsworth, who is their coach, is also registered to play at the, the tender edge of 43. Um, the Gareth Ainsworth fact I have is that he plays the guitar and does it quite well, apparently. Um, but no, they, you're right. They are doing well. They did really well in the last round as well to to get here. I'm sure the beast, as he is known in in popular circles, will be first to admit that they're very unlikely to to win this one. It's it's, it's pretty much nailed on. I think for a Spurs win. Um, the the curiosity I have and you kill the cat um, is: Do you want to see some of the youngsters come out, Adam? Because you got the likes of Marcus Edwards, Josh Onama. We hear a lot about them, but maybe we don't see enough of them in the first team. Is this a, a, a prime opportunity to, to play some of them? Yeah, of course. I think um, Marcus Edwards is obviously someone that Pochettino has spoken of very highly uh, as an England youth international. He's sort of he's coming back from a, an ankle injury recently, so hopefully uh, the talk is that he could potentially be fit um, to be in contention to face Wickham on Saturday, I think that would be a fantastic thing to see because obviously Pochettino is all about bringing the youth through. We've seen that with Harry Kane, we've seen that with Deli Alley and and some of the other players for Spurs. I think uh, to see that continue this season, I think people were expecting at the start of the season people like Edwards, people like Josh Onoma to have more of a more of a role. So I think it would be good to see players like those make an appearance, um, obviously expected to win against Wickham. So if players like Edwards, like Onoma, um, could make that breakthrough into the first team through games like this, uh, like Harry Winks has this season, uh, it's only a positive thing for Spurs. Elsewhere, we've got Derby uh, playing Leicester City. Uh <laughs> Derby being West Brom to get to this stage of the competition. Chris, um, who's your money on for this one? Good question. Um, it's a difficult one because Leicester aren't in the greatest form. And Derby under McLaren, surprisingly to me, to be honest, have, have actually played quite well. Um, they had some pretty crushing losses as well, haven't they? I mean, yeah. they 3-0 to Norwich. You know they've they've drawn a few and then obviously uh, they they lost to Leeds as well. So it seems that when they get into a proper battle with a decent side, they don't seem to do as well. But then they did win it against West Brom. I think that's the problem is that, and it seems that's something that's symptomatic of a McLaren team is when you need a little bit of guts and and a little bit of the intangibles to shine through, it doesn't really come. Whereas 
when it's an opportunity for them to actually play football, then they can really shine. And and I think that was the case against West Brom in the last round is they played a Premier League team who, again, wanted to put the ball down and, and try and play with it. And they were more than a match for them. Um, Tom Ince is a curious one for me. The more his career progresses, the more it seems like he's going to be trapped in that horrible limbo of being seemingly too good for the championship, but not good enough for the Premier League. Sure, and, he's good enough for them. I mean, if he, if, if he was signed by Newcastle, I think he would go up with them and I think he'd do a very decent job under Benitez. Benitez likes him as well. I, th- I think if you play him in quite an advanced position, yes. So if you were to play him in, say, three, for argument's sake, quite high up the field, I think he works there. I don't think he's got the speed or the strength to to beat a man and, and carry it from halfway. That's, <clears throat> that's the problem. And I think a lot of... Um, coaches want that yeah. and and equally he's never struck me as the most creative winger um he, he's been someone that is a goal scoring winger whereas if you look at and just for comparison's sake matt ritchie he's someone that he's his goals and assists are fairly even in terms of spread <clears throat> and he's very industrious ritchie as well he works hard he puts a defensive shift in that's not necessarily something i associate with tomins and I think the fact that, again, he had that shot with Palace in the top flight, he had the shot with Hull as well. To me, that's not the most confidence-inducing uh, situation, the fact that he couldn't get regular playing time with either. And who knows, he, he might sh- prove me wrong at the weekend and really shine and be the star of it. But I think opportunities like this are ones he has to try and steal if, he's go- if he wants to go back to the top flight, because I'm not sure if Derby have enough in them to get there. They've got the likes of Ben and people like this who can produce those flashes because they have been in the top flight for a good portion of their career. But consistently over a season, I, I just don't see it. Leicester as well, uh, Dave. Um, trying to make a bid for Gaston Ramirez. Trying to bring him in uh, at the Foxes. What do you make of this one? He's an interesting player. I remember his days when he was at Bologna when I was so you know so impressed by the forward, you know, young I think he was 22 years old, Uruguayan, scored some wonderful goals for that Bologna team. I think it included uh, Diamante in the same side, on the counter. Sack. And I remember a movie finished off with a you know, flick with a, the back of his heel, but he's not really made it. Um, you know, he's not really taken the correct career moves. In his, you know, moving to Borough was a, was a bit of a strange one. It, it's kind of worked out uh, following the Southampton stuff. But to Leicester City, to where he's going to fit in there, we've got quite a lot of forwards already. You know, you're thinking of the likes of Ahmed Musa. Uh, Marlis are probably going to be your first two, and then obviously you've got to throw Jamie Vardy in there. You know, they've already got other players that can play these positions on the sacking. So, so forth. So it's, it seems like a really odd one for Gaston Ramirez, and almost a sideward step uh, in a way, but a career of uh, a player that's almost becoming a journeyman playmaker right now. It's popping up, having a few good games. People remember his good games, and he gets that another next move. Maybe it's a money thing, but it's a shame. You know, another player that's not lived through his potential, not lived up to his potential. He he's added a, a transfer request. Am I right in saying that? Yes, I appear. I think that's what is true. Yeah. He has, and and Karankas Karankas had a go at him for it, actually for the way that he's handled it, and I, and I can kind of see why. I think Karankas under a lot of pressure as it is at the minute. He obviously took a little bit of a, a dig at Borough fans that didn't go over too well. Um, but also the thing is, you know loyalty seems to be a theme of the January transfer window when he was was kind of cast out by Southampton it was Borough that that rehabbed his career a bit he was really not tipped for much I think at one stage actually he'd agreed to go back to Uruguay with Nacional maybe um Nacional Danubio um 
And so the fact that he's back in the Premier, <clears throat> excuse me, back in the Premier League with a second chance is largely down to the fact that Borough were willing to take that risk with him. Elsewhere on Sunday, Millwall facing Watford, um, already on a high, Chris. Um, after the announcement by Lewisham Council that it has abandoned plans to seize land from Millwall around there, ground the den. Um, obviously, celebrations from the fans. Could it be another reason to celebrate? Could they beat Watford here? Could it be the giant sort of killing? Well, they're not in great form at the minute, Watford. And those are the sort of things that you look for when you're trying to predict the cup shocks. Is, uh, are the squad a little bit low on confidence? Is, is morale dropped a little bit maybe? Could they, could they not be up for this? Or, or stuff like that. Millwall are not a bad side from what I've seen this season. I think they've got some potential. Steve Morrison's there, obviously, a, a bit of a grizzled veteran of the lower leagues. Had a brief time in the Premier League, if memory serves, with Norwich. So, again, has, has played at a, a high level at some stage in his career. Um, and the the thing with Watford is, it's I'm assuming that the, the two new signings, Zerati and Niang, have been done in time to, to play. Zerati definitely will have been, but Niang, I'm not so sure. Um, it's I don't know. It, it's a weird one. The wheels just seem to have fallen off with Watford. Then they're, they're not playing well. I think they've got was it four wins since October or something like that. Maybe one win since mid December. Haven't won in twenty seventeen either. It's it's a lot of bad records to to collect. Um, they don't look that defensively solid for for a team coached by uh, Mazzari. And in terms of going forward, Audi Nagalo to to borrow. A, phrase from Ian Wright looks like he's been space jammed it doesn't look like there's any of the quality that he had last season <laughs> should, should have sold him should have uh, sent him off to China well that's the thing should, should have sold to, him should have uh, sent him off to China that was the reason they accepted the bid but he said no I want to stay and play nah mate that's not the way it happens everyone wants to go to China everyone wants to go mate we've spoken about this uh, with Stephen Price I'd check out the bonus go spot. China <laughs> we'd all go I think we'd all go um, interesting one some of those signings as you're saying there uh, Chris, I've never been massively impressed with Niang. Um, I saw him in person when I went to see Milan versus uh, Inter uh, at the San Siro just to drop a big game that I went to recently. But he, he's someone who's never, he's never somebody who's sort of lived up to their, uh, his potential. But I think, you know, potentially at Watford, he could, um, he could fulfill some of the hype. Be interesting to see. Absolutely um, not. Could feel some... Why? Wait a minute. I thought. Wait. Um. What? Why? Why? What, what's happened with the angle that's so bad? I don't see what the problem is here. It's basically just an inconsistency thing. I think he had Crash. a big chance on the. Crash's car. Um, point, didn't he's he gone for kids at Milan. Yeah, he's bad attitude. Um, not fulfilling potential again. It happens time and time again. I think what a move to Watford. When he can't even get into the Milan team, is he going to get into the Watford team ahead of Agallo and Troy Deeney? Yeah, I mean, there's players there as well. Exactly, that's bad. To be fair, yeah, but to be fair to him, before he was out of the Milan side because of the car crash, he was, and he's, I mean, also part of the reason that Milan have, in inverted commas, dropped away since he has had the car crash is because they've not had Niang in the side. Niang was becoming a bit more. Um, I guess tactically no. uh, central to uh, Milan before he was out. No, I think it's uh, it was more Suso, more Bonaventura playing in those wide areas, and you know either Bakker or uh, Lapadula through the middle. Whenever I've seen Yang play for Milan this season, every single time he's been so frustrating on the ball. Yeah, but we're talking pre or post car crash here. I'm not I'm not sure of the exact date of the car crash. I just mean for the whole season, you know. 
I've watched Milan a few times this year, and every time he's just it's the same thing. It's the frustration. I think he was like a different a, player. I think he was a different player before the car crash, and for that reason, I'm willing okay. to forgive and willing to allow him to come forward. <laughs> forgive and forget. Willing to forgive, okay. but willing okay, to Lawrence. forget, Lawrence. <laughs> You know? Well, I, I know you should never forget, Adam. Never forget. The, the thing forget. I think never to consider forget. is the thing I think to consider as well here is Niang's twenty-two, and he broke through at Cannes at a very young age. I want to say about sixteen, like 2012, 2011 time. And there was a point that we talked about Derby before. There's a point Scott Carson made that he believes to be ten or twenty times better as a player now than when he was younger because he's got experience. He said that decision-making makes all the difference because it gets a point where you don't feel the need as a goalkeeper to kind of push yourself on every game. You don't have to do something spectacular. As long as the team's winning and you're doing your job when needed, that's all that matters. You don't have to be influential. And I do wonder if there's an impatience sometimes with with this that we don't want to let people grow into into themselves at, at different times. Of course, there will be some players that never reach their potential or never reach the heights that are projected for them early in their career. But there is also, it seems like, a little bit of an impatience when it comes to to letting people bloom when it's right for them. Because, again, he, he clearly isn't the most professional uh, young man in the world that he's drawn comparisons to Balotelli, because um, it doesn't seem like it stops at his playing style. But I also think that sometimes, you know, there's so many nuances that just get overlooked here, and we brand someone with a, a failure tag. Oh, Chris, I'll hand them out for fun. I'll hand them out every single day of the week. No, but it's true. It's you know, the like, stamp of failure for me. Was, that's the thing. Like I, I spoke to Josie Altidore, like last month, and it's that idea of just because you fail doesn't mean you're a failure in the same way that he's found success back in MLS now. He's going for the US fairly regularly. It's, it's all about time and place, I think, and sometimes it's too easy to just say, this guy's a really bad player, when actually playing in England might be you know, might be the best thing that can happen to him because it's a better fit for him personally. I feel sorry for Josie. I think definitely Milan have done well in the, in the window, letting Nian go and bringing in Delafeo. I think that's a, a massive upgrade in terms of the quality. Certainly interesting to see what Delafeo would do there because he's got an unusual technique and I think Milan can make the most of it. But I still think yeah. Milan are made of... Milan are made of bit part players right now and it, it's so frustrating because they used to be made of such complete players. Mm. Honda. Ruined it all. Yeah, do you know what? That that was sort of the beginning of of that era, wasn't it? It was the it was that the, the, era. The end, Lawrence. Of Indeed. Yeah, they went from a midfield <laughs> of Gattuso, um, Pirlo, and Brasini, and Brasini, legendary strikers of Inzaghi and Shevchenko. What a team! Tell you, tell you what, mate. If if Van Basten had his way, it was Van Basten, right? Yeah, it was Van Basten. Um, if Van Basten had his way, Inzaghi would probably still be playing because no offsides, mate. Yeah, it would zoom down to the ground. Um, final <laughs> final FA Cup game of the weekend is Manchester United versus Wigan, Dave. Um, a few changes expected. Uh, Sergio Romero expected to come in in goal. Um, what about Anthony Martial, though? What's going on with the Frenchman at the moment? Is he likely to get his chance, or has he burned his bridges, Dave? I don't know. It's a, it's a real weird one because when he's played in in the cup competitions this year you know he's probably had more chances in in those than in the league he's been very good you know the performance against West Ham United uh, in the EFL Cup quarter final I think it was was excellent he was brilliant man of the match in Victoria um we're just tearing up the flanks and I just I'm not too 
sure what's going on, whether it's a, an agent thing, whether there's a falling out, whether the girlfriends come, the ex-girlfriends come back into his life and he's having personal problems at the moment. That's the issue that we've got, is that there's something that's wrong. And um, it's one of those things that you can't, as a football fan, we don't know what's happening inside the club, but games like today, 100% he should have started. United missed his, his drive in, in, uh, on the left-hand side, how he can beat an opponent, how he can get to the byline and, and work shot, you know, work shooting positions and so forth. So, it was a real shame that he that he wasn't playing today, and I'm not sure why. I can't give you an answer it's, to that. I mean, it could be anything. Mourinho explained that he was admitted from the the United squad last weekend when uh, the Red Devils drew one all with Stoke. It seems to be that the manager is is accusing essentially Martial of of not grasping the opportunities that he's been given. Um, he stopped short of talking about how Martial potentially lost his focus, things like that. But would you agree with that assessment, Dave, that uh, Martial has failed to make an impact when he has made starts? Absolutely. But you, I think the thing with, again, if we've got to go back to this young player debate, it's, it's been interesting. Like He has been really good in some games, but he's been a bit on off in other games. But last season, he carried the United attack, so you can't forget that quickly. You know, He scored the most goals for United last season, 17 goals in all competitions. Carried United in the FA Cup, um, and I feel that you, you with someone like Anthony Martial, his quality is there. Maybe his attitude is a little bit different. What Mourinho expects, he is more laid back. You always see him having a bit of a laugh when he's on the pitch. He's always smiling. He seems like quite a jovial character. Um, maybe that's just a bit of a personality clash from Mourinho. I don't know. There's, it's just a, it's a real weird one. But I think the thing that you got to look at is United potentially have another thirty odd games to play this season if they get to the Europa League final and win that, which they will do. So. There's football for Anthony Martial to play this season. So I think with the likes of Memphis Depay going, Martial ain't going to go anywhere in January, but he needs to knuckle down and potentially work a little bit harder if that is the issue. Mm. With Wigan coming to Old Trafford, Chris, uh, we're obviously seeing the return of Warren Joyce, um, the current Wigan boss who obviously uh, managed youth teams at Manchester United. Um, do you think he can uh, potentially get a result against his former employers? Not a chance, unfortunately. Um, Excellent. Saying that, I, I I have been quite impressed with what Joyce has done at Wigan um, since he's come in. He's got them playing some fairly nice football, sort of pinging it around on the on the floor. But the the problem I found is is the first game I kind of watched with them against Newcastle, they just lacked that little bit of quality in in the key areas. If they'd had that, there's a good chance they probably would have beat Newcastle. To be honest, it was very much one of those classic championship fixtures where you've got a team that's going to probably just stay up against a team that's likely to go up. Um, and it, the quality of the latter is is very telling in winning the game in just like two, three moments. Because it didn't really dominate the possession or, or anything like that, in my opinion. Um, but since that, he's been able to get some some good youngsters in. Uh, there was a chap, I think his name McConnell from Everton. Wigan didn't actually announce it until after they'd put out their starting eleven, which had him in it. And then he scored twice. Um, I think it was against Burton. So, um, yeah, I, I think they've got some decent-ish players. But I look at the way that Man United dismantled Reading so easily. Um, and then near the top of that league, again, I'd, I'd be amazed if it's anything but a sort of similar result for, for Wigan, all things concerned. All things considered, excuse me. Let's briefly talk about 
some transfer talk then before we move on to part two and the questions because there's been some interesting deals, some interesting rumours as the deadline fast approaches. First up, of course, Robert Snodgrass dominating the headlines. Um, he has apparently told Hull City he wants to leave. Um, Tigers manager Marco Silva coming out after their win over Manchester United and talking about how the deal could be done in the next few hours. Um, so potentially by this podcast is out. Uh, he will be most likely potentially a West Ham player. Um, but Dave, I mean, Robert Snodgrass, mm. if this was a, a being John Malkovich situation, a being Robert Snodgrass situation, you've got West Ham making offers, you've got Burnley making offers, apparently they've both had bids accepted. You've got Middlesbrough making an approach. If you're Robert Snodgrass, Dave, you're in the mind of the whole city midfielder, where mm. are you moving? Well, I think if I was going to rate the rumours or the transfers that I'm, I'm going to go to. Great format, I love it. I think I'd um, potentially prefer West Ham United. I think that's a, it's a better fit for Snodgrass right now if he wants to, to push on. And if he does, you know, if he wants to take the next step in his career to going from a relegation candidate to a team that potentially could um, push on and uh, compete for that, that last European spot or, you know, potentially just play some better football on top half the league the next season they make some more signings I think West Ham's the correct option I think Burnley would be really interesting Burnley have done well this season in terms of defensively they've been really good at home they've been very very good but they just lack that goal from a set piece that Robert Snodgrass would bring would bring to that side the delivery you know his ability to score goals from range would be quite good middle again quite an interesting one if Gaston Ramirez goes there is that berth on that left hand side that he could definitely fill with, with Traore on one wing the tricky winger that's going to take someone on Snodgrass gives you something slightly different that you know more of a crossing winger um, than a direct winger uh, with Negredo up front that could work quite nicely but I think West Ham in terms of he wants to this is a, a career progressor or not one that's just going for the money and just going to take the money West Ham seems like the best option at the moment with Payet um, throwing his toys out of his, his pram and so forth so yeah if I was Snodgrass West Ham Four robs out of five. Mm, I like it. I like it a lot. Stepping um, all over someone else's toes there. I love it. <laughs> Some other uh, interesting <laughs> rumours floating about. Uh, Chris um, Palace have apparently been linked with uh, former Manchester United and Newcastle winger Gabriel Obertan, um, who's available on a free mm. transfer after being told he can leave Angie Machachkala. Um, an absolute bargain. I'm sure you'll agree, Chris. <laughs> yeah, the, Angie are in, in pretty dire financial straits, so they're letting go of anyone. It earns a decent wage. I'm, I'm very surprised that he wants to meet. He's, he's a, such a bizarre character over time because he has these moments where you see sort of the quality or the reasons that Man United bought him and why he was so highly rated. I remember watching him for the French under-21s against England many years ago, and he did look an absolute player. Um I think, honestly, though, confidence is his big issue. He, he really gets into his own head far too easy. Um, I, I also think at this point, it seems like Aldax is just desperate to sign someone. He's got that many different bids in for players. You've got Van Arnholt, um, Aubertan, for example, Brady. That's just three. I'm sure there's a few more floating around as well. So it's it doesn't paint to me the greatest sort of uh, idea that they were prepared for January Palace. I, I know there was talk that Allardyce had put in some proposal um, two weeks before Pardew got the shove but it doesn't seem like he was kind of that aware of what he actually needed or how viable each potential candidate was 
Elsewhere today, it emerged that Branislav Ivanovic, Lawrence, is on the verge of uh, leaving Chelsea after nine years, set to join Zenit oh, St. No. Petersburg on a free transfer. Obviously, has become somewhat of a peripheral, peripheral figure uh, in the last season or so, but a lot of Chelsea fans, uh, you know, uh, saddened because this is a player who's uh, left quite an enduring legacy, I'd say, at Chelsea. I guess yeah, it's because he's had some big performances. He's been there during the time when the team's been particularly successful. And he's also been a good player for them in that time. Um, I, it doesn't seem like such a loss anymore. I think he's sort of served his purpose, if you like. Um, and he's going to a possibly level where he's going to be able to step back out of that. But maybe he's also going to a place where he'll feel a lot more comfortable now and get more regular football. Um, Chelsea... Uh, I think it was what, what's the what's the new Chelsea fan channel? T is it Chelsea fan channel TV? CFC TV. TV, yeah. Those guys were saying what a big loss he is, and I think in many ways he's sort of become a club legend. Uh, but that sentimentality rather than practicality. Talking now, um, yeah, he's on his way for the right reasons. So you know, I'm sure Chelsea wish him good luck, even if there are other fans who's ha- who are happy to see him off. Hmm. Um, he was part of he was a bit that he was a bit do you know what I mean he was a bit part of that nasty side of Chelsea at times he was a little bit bitchy uh, yeah of course but he's been a fantastic servant Lawrence and you have to respect that um, staying on Chelsea yeah. Dave uh, Chelsea have apparently submitted a £27 million bid for Frank Kessie um, and a, which has apparently been rejected by Atalanta out of hand um, they want to keep their star talent uh, what have you heard of this midfielder? I mean, he, he's been likened to a young Yaya Torre. Uh, is this a player that, if he doesn't move uh, in this window, could be uh, the subject of a lot of uh, bids in the summer? Mm, I definitely think so. You know, Atalanta have been one of the um, sort of under underperforming, underrated sides in European football this season, currently what, sixth in, in Syria, you know, massively ahead of what their budget is and so forth. But yeah, he's an impressive player, um, very energetic, gets up and down, scores goals. So in terms of the comparisons, Yaya Torre, nah, you know, Yaya Torre in his peak was a very, very, very top player. And to compare, to compare someone like um, Cassie, who's at the start of his career with Yaya Torre, bit of a, a, mis, a mismatch in terms of his goals he's got I think he scored four in his first three games maybe and he's only gone to score another two um mm. he's been out the side uh, the last three games maybe picked up an injury but yeah he's, he's decent he's combative he's he's, he's a classic sort of Syrian Syria modern day midfielder we're seeing a lot of quality young central midfielders coming through Syria and he's just another one um that provides option in this Atalanta midfield obviously with uh, our pal Alejandro Gomez up top so yeah he's uh, well, I think he'll, he'll definitely be moving on in the summer but probably not, I don't think, in January. Talk to me about Kessie, Chris, because you are writing a feature on him, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, so I just spoke to, to Horda Magnussen, who was with him at Chisena. Um He was sent there by Atalanta. Um, so he was demoted down to Serie B just to get some experience to play and, and kind of see how he handled Italian football. And it was actually his coach at Chisena that made him a midfielder. He arrived as a, a centre-back and was moved forward. Um, but by all accounts, he's a, a very friendly guy, very professional, quite quiet at first. Um, but yeah, you're talking to, to Magnuson, he said, you know, you could kind of see the quality very early on. He's very good on the ball, very technical. Um, he's maybe not the battering ram that you might think because of his size and his stature. There's a lot more craft to his game. And I think at, at this point, you maybe say, okay, he's not quite at the level of Matic. But if you then give that the context of his potential, 
then I can completely see why Chelsea are looking at him because I don't think there's many in his mould in Europe right now. Let's talk a couple of done deals then before we move on. I mean, Lawrence, undoubtedly one of the biggest done deals uh, so far in the window, is Philippe Coutinho signing a brand new five-year contract. Uh, Breaking news. (laughs) Obviously, a big coup for Liverpool to tie a player of his quality down. Um, yeah, until not as if he was playing for them. Um, yeah, uh, pretty pretty big in the sense that I think Liverpool have been negotiating this one for a while. Um, Coutinho seems like a fairly nice guy. Um, more than a fairly nice guy, actually, he seems like a great character. Uh, fairly sort of straightforward character, you would hope, as a Liverpool fan. Very different. I mean, some people are sort of pointing to the Suarez instantly, South American, blah, blah, blah. But I think... I think Liverpool fans like to think Coutinho is a slightly different um, figure, if you like, um, which is is true to some extent. Um, you know, he's much more sort of clean living, um, seems a bit more respectful and speaks of the club as basically a place where he feels at home and a place where he was made to feel at home. And that's the reason that he wanted to stay. Some people cynically, and maybe I am one of them as well, are saying it's also that Liverpool wanted to get a bigger clause in there so yeah. that when Barcelona or someone comes sniffing around, then he is, uh, he's, he retains the club a lot more money and that's why they're giving him the bigger wages and broken the wage structure essentially. Cause they feel like they're going to make a massive profit on him. Um, but I guess the uncynical side and also the side that Guillaume Balaguer, our friend, um, has also taken is that, um, well, let's look at it this way, guys. They never wanted him in the first place. Uh, and for some reason, it was maybe rumours to help him get some more money. Either way, regardless of what happens, it's smart business for Liverpool. Whether they sign him down long term, wherever he moves on, it makes. You know, sense. I don't. I don't know if he has uh, played to the, the level consistently where he merits 150 grand a week. But I imagine that Klopp and his side will think of him in that way and try and make him into that player. Is he now? One of the highest paid players in the Premier League. Is that correct? Um, I mean, it would certainly make him easy. He's certainly the highest paid player in the Liverpool team. I think the nearest is 140 grand, maybe. Um, I believe that Coutinho has now elevated himself to... He's only the 13th most highest paid player in the league. Um, behind John Terry, who's on 160 oh. grand a week, um, supposedly. Um, the highest paid... <laughs> The highest paid player in the league is, of course, Dave. Close. It's Paul Pogba. Paul Pogba, 290 grand a week. Uh, Manchester United with the three highest paid players in the in the league. Wayne Rooney on 260k. Zlatan on 250. Marion Fellaini on 300 grand. Uh, Marion Fellaini nowhere in the uh, in the top 20. Bastian um, Schweinsteiger is in there. Interesting. Um, is he? Did you guys talk about Memphis? What's, what's, what's Schweiny on? Schweiny is on a cool 135 grand a week. Decent <laughs> wage. Money. The other done deal this week, of course, was Alexander Isaac. Uh, I believe it's pronounced Isaac Isaac. Uh, tomato, tomato. Moving to Borussia Dortmund, Chris, ahead of Real Madrid. Dortmund once again signing up another European wonder kid. Uh, is he the real deal, though, Chris? I think he's definitely on the way. Um, the, the good thing with him is his intelligence, his positioning, all of those mental aspects are incredibly sharp. He's clearly not finished growing physically. He's still got a way to develop. He's quite slight, um, quite tall, actually, as well. 
as you can expect, because he's Swedish, everyone talks about Zlatan. They're really nothing alike as players, not even close. They've they've gone for for very high fees. In fact, he's smashed the record that Zlatan held as the most expensive export from Sweden. Um, but yeah, they're very different players and very different people as well. Isaac's not as as bold or as kind of forward with his his personality as, as Latan is. He's a lot more reserved, just as confident, but a lot more reserved. Um, and I was lucky enough to to speak to, to Kenny Pavey, um, an English midfielder who's who's pretty much spent his entire career in Sweden, who was actually there for his first ever training session with the first team. And he said himself, you could you could see the talent was there instantly. There was something special about him. Um, but yeah, it's 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 a great deal for AIK. I know that much. It's the only slight concern if you're a Dortmund fan is that uh, it doesn't seem like Thomas Tuchel was consulted much on it. He didn't actually know that they'd signed him, which maybe doesn't bode that well. But I think having watched him play a lot now, uh... hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Um, and going back and watching tape and stuff, I, th- I think he'll fit in at Dortmund very well. He's a more of a deeper lion striker. He likes to come and contribute to the play and all this kind of stuff. And I think with Aubameyang and Royce and people like that, he's yeah, he's going to have a whale of a time playing with them. I think maybe he's just being super coy. Mm. Um, Who? Oh, don't know. Uh, yeah, cool. Let's yeah, great. <laughs> move on to part two. It's time for the questions. Questions time, and first up is the one and only, the man himself, Carlos Zaldivar, writing in with a great question this week. He says, is Rooney's record uh, with the Legends debate, do you think the term legend is overused? In my opinion, it is because legendary means a status that is basically unattainable. As a Barcelona fan, I would say we have two legends, Cruyff and Messi. Xavi, for example, is a club icon, in my honest opinion. Hashtag I am the whole. Thank you very much for your question, Carlos. Dave, we're going to come to you on this one. Is Rooney a legend? Is the word legend overused, etc.? It's a difficult one, isn't it? It's uh, the whole debate around world class, the whole debate about an icon, legend. I think basically what I'm going to do, one day I'm going to sit in my room and I'm going to draw up the plans. The dictionary definition. Dictionary definition of world-class legend icon because it gets thrown around too much these days and it's starting to frustrate me. But in terms of Wayne Rooney for Manchester United, I think he's done. In terms of goal scoring, he's um, you know he's the record goal scorer at Manchester United, but I don't think he's a Man United legend, unfortunately. The top scorer of all time for Manchester United is not a Manchester United legend. 
No, he's yeah. not, unfortunately. If wow. He would have been a legend if he hadn't put in two transfer requests, and unfortunately that kills mm, it for you me. Can't in terms of that. a fan of Manchester United, that kills it for me. I can't ignore that. Similar to David De Gea, I can't ignore that. I can't ignore someone wanting to leave Manchester United. As a football fan, it's my club. If someone wants to leave my club, I feel personally offended by that player. The thing happened with Wayne Rooney. If it happens to any other United oh, player, give Dave. it. Dave. We it's all make mistakes, things. all right? I'm sorry, it's one they had things. moments of weaknesses. Yeah, it's precious. And sorry. yet, sorry, you've got to respect their contribution. I am. No? It's not I, just... Yeah, leave, it's, it's how you leave as well, though, because Bobby Charlton played at other clubs, I think, when he left very I mean, very briefly, but hmm. it's it's the way you leave as well. Essentially, you've if you're going to walk out of a club like that, you can't walk out at your best, which is kind of what Rooney was doing. You've got to walk out pretty much when you're done as a player, if that makes sense. You've, they've got to want you to leave as much as you want to go, if if that makes any sense. Mm, it does. Yeah, I, it does. I agree with that, definitely. George no. O'Callaghan says, can you explain why a 48-team World Cup is bad? The 16 groups with the winner going through, would it not promote attacking football, Lawrence? Uh, I mean, some people say it would <clears throat> promote better football. Um I'm not against expanding the World Cup. I just think a lot of people are cynical of the people behind the expansion. It's it's essentially the same as any sort of political uh, movement. If if it comes from a side that most people support and there seems to be um, good reasoning behind it, then most people will end up supporting it. The problem being uh, people are very sceptical of the current people at the top. Their reasoning behind it and also some of the structures they're putting in place. They think they're expanding it. Um, and, and, and most people are for expanding the World Cup in some way. Um, however, it seems to be the methods and the ways they're going about it, which are wrong. And other people are coming up with better alternative suggestions. What I find a problem is that we don't just go about this in the first place and FIFA don't just come out and sort of say, and I, I kind of think we are in that phase anyway, where they just go, we're open to suggestions here. Um, we're open to feedback. Let's go through that process together. Um I don't understand why they don't make that a more transparent process and kind of make fans and FAs alike feel much more part of it than maybe they do. But maybe that's just the Twitter bubble that makes it seem so partisan. Hmm. You're not wrong. Alex James yeah. says, question for Chris. What are your thoughts on James Bree and Connor Hurihan this season? Uh, Bree, I haven't seen much of, I must confess. Hurahan, uh, I like a lot. He was actually at Sunderland as a youngster. Um, and I managed to catch a little bit of him for the, the reserves. Um, and honestly, there was nothing really that stuck out. There was nothing that you thought, oh, wow, he's going to be really good when he gets older. I was actually quite surprised to learn that he's only 25. I presumed he was probably closer to 28. Um, and I think that says a lot about him is that he's he opted clearly to, to drop down the leagues. He went down to Plymouth and, and built his career up that way. I think he's a very technically gifted player. I think actually he's, industry, it's something he possesses, but I wouldn't say it defines his game. Um, and I think it's a fairly shrewd you know, bit of business by Villa. I think if they were doing this business six months ago in the summer, then you'd be saying, oh, you know, Villa, a good chance they go up. I think unfortunately for them, it'll, it'll be a bridge too far this season. Uh, maybe at a push, get into the playoffs, um, but next season, assuming they keep him and Lansbury, who they've also signed, and a few others, I'd, I'd expect them to at least get the playoffs next year. Gershon, at Gershon4, thank you for your question. It's a question for Dave. Who should Manchester, who should Manchester United sign? 
Griezmann, Lukaku or Dybala to replace Ibra. Maybe not replacing Eva, Dave. Maybe replacing Martial. <laughs> Oi, don't you get me with this clickbait, Adam. Martial is staying at Manchester United for the next five years. Then he'll break my heart like Wayne Rooney, like Carlos Tevez and of leave course. Manchester United. But in terms of, you know, they all those three forwards you mentioned in terms of ranking, um, I'd put Lukaku definitely at three um, of players I'd like to sign. It's difficult with the next two because I both think of very, very, very gifted forwards. Obviously, Dybala, Morbus striker but a striker that drops deep into midfield and combines with other players um Anton Griezmann obviously that you know that second striker attacking midfielder that Man United need I feel like Griezmann would be a better fit but I'd like to see Dybala at Old Trafford a little bit more just because he's personally I think he's a wonderful wonderful player and will be one of the best in the world um given his start at Juventus so I think I'm going to go Dybala two and Antoine Griezmann three in terms of fits for the side other players I'd like to see, mm-hmm. you know, someone like Koke would be fantastic in central midfield, but obviously that is far-fetched, really far-fetched. Football um, manager that's stuff. You'd yeah. Yeah, yeah, you'd struggle to do on football manager. Um, but yeah, he'd be a fantastic acquisition in terms of what United could potentially need in, in midfield or, you know, defensive midfielder. William Cavalier, I always, you know, every summer I always try and talk about him to Manchester United. I think he's a wonderful player. Um, and he's progressing. Um, maybe he can be Mourinho's defensive midfielder that can play a little bit of football. So no, my players Adam for you buddy maybe and for our pal <laughs> name him give him a name what's his name Dave Adam what was, his, what was, the, what was the fellow's name his name was Gashan yeah yeah Gashan okay right action go <laughs> Gershon. Gershon, no, <laughs> don't cut any of this do not cut any of this. Please don't cut any of this. Please leave this bit in. Because it's, it's like, Gashashan, Gashashan, Gashashan. Lawrence, David Shanahan question from wants to know, how can Liverpool uh, get out of how? this bad run? This bad, Gashashan? bad run. I think, uh, I think the, the thing is, I bless you, I think I kind of, um, didn't I sort of say earlier how they can get, I think... Um, most people perceive Daniel Sturridge as the problem. I think he's a square peg in a round hole. Uh, back up at the back. Uh, Liverpool beaten by a, a Southampton side who played it perfectly. Um, it's not as terrible as people think it is, but when it's good, it's not as good as people think it is. Uh, um, they need to find a, a structure which suits them much better at and means that James Milner doesn't have to be working so hard to play left back. Um, it still speaks volumes that Liverpool don't have a consistent left back and yet had the option to buy one, uh, and op- not more than, not only one, but a number of left backs during the summer and didn't. Um, and uh, I also think that Liverpool just need a better structure. And I think that uh, at times that structure has been papered over by the energy of certain players. Uh, and at the moment, we're also seeing a lot of key players for Liverpool come back from injury. In a few weeks' time, we will see that uh, maybe right itself. Having said that, uh, they play Chelsea uh, in less than a week's time, and I'm, I'm worried about that. Aren't we? I all think that's the answer for all of three, isn't it? Uh, question here from Ryan Dawson. Do you think Pep will win a league title or Champions League in the next three seasons for Manchester City? Don't debate. Just yes or no. <laughs> Day first. Yes what or no. Will Pep win a league title or a Champions League title in the next three seasons? No debate. 
Yeah. Yes. No. Chris? Lawrence? No. I'm going to say yes. Ryan, thank you for your it's question. Only really, that you only really lose from that because people, people forget <laughs> when you say yes, but if you say no, they come back and they're like, ah. Yes. Uh, an interesting question on Hull, Chris. Um, Nazim Trabulsi writing in, do you think Hull have pretty much confirmed their relegation by shipping Jake Livermore and it looks like Robert Snodgrass. We're obviously talking about uh, the admiral, admirable job that Marco Silva is doing, although the results perhaps don't reflect that. In terms of their transfer business, are they causing themselves problems, though, Chris? Yeah, massively. We touched on that at the start. It's it's a maddening approach from the the owners. I appreciate they want to sell the team and they, they again are thinking of themselves, but I I, just, I don't think I could do the same thing if I was in that position because. Again, you, you're selling two best players. Granted, you'll get 20 million, it looks like, for the pair. But at what cost? You're potentially going to put the team down, which means that realistically, when you come to sell it, it's going to be much harder. Whereas if you you know, took the risk and said, OK, we'll put a little bit, say 10, 15 million into players, because it's still fairly tight down there as well. It's not uh, a foregone conclusion that Hull are going to go down. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't say they've confirmed it, but they've made Marco Silva's job needlessly difficult and, and I can't understand why any owner would want to do that just from a business perspective let alone a, a sort of romanticised look at it Here's an interesting question from Andrew Gwilliam Are you still yes. recording? The answer is yes. Would love to know who you each think would win the PFA Player of the Year Award 2017 hashtag important uh, very important stuff Very early for me, I think Diego Costa, obviously one of the front runners. Eden Hazard as well. We all know uh, the team who wins the league, obviously one of their star players. Obviously I'm going to go Deli contention. Um, But I was about to say, but for my own team, and I think in general, Delhi Ali has been even more influential and decisive than he was last season so far um, after a reasonably poor start so yeah I think he's uh, he's definitely going to be up there but again I think it depends on what the team achieves and accomplishes at that stage of the season when these awards uh, are given out um, Dave who do you think is going to win? Oh well I'm going to get some big big fan base built here I'm going to go with Alexis Sanchez going to carry Arsenal to the Premier League title Conte's going to fail Klopp's going to fail Mourinho is going to have a bad hair day. Sanchez is going to score 30 goals and get 15 assists playing as a false nine. As I was criticised maybe last year for suggesting that on a great channel. Still work with. Ball Street, everybody. Great channel, indeed. <laughs> um, I thought it was in the comments. Chris. On one of the Football Republic videos, actually. Anyway, let's move on. Kristen Hennage, who is going to win, in your mind, the PFA player? I like think it will be Deli Ali. I, th- I think he's been very impressive this season. I, I don't think Dave's suggestion of Alexis Sanchez is that mad, though. I could definitely see that happening. If he takes them to the league title, then definitely 100%. Because he has. He's, he's carried them already through most of the season. So if they were to take the league, you have to think he plays a massive part. So I think it goes to North London this season. If If Chelsea win it, Hazard. I mean, this is the thing, I'll be honest, when you 
say anything not positive about Chelsea, usually you get someone calling you a rude name. Um, Bloody if, Rory. <laughs> he's one of the few that doesn't, him yeah. and Sophie. Um, but yeah, I, I think if Chelsea, I think essentially it goes to whoever wins the league this season because they've all been so close. It'll be a player from that team. So theoretically, I think if it's Tottenham, it's Ali. If it's Arsenal, it's Sanchez. If it's Chelsea, you're probably looking at Hazard. Or maybe Costa, actually. No, maybe I'm being unfair on Costa there. Costa, Lawrence? I said Deli Ali. And I like it. And I like it a lot. Um, Here's a very good question from Simran Janda. Thanks so much for your question. He said, this one, Lawrence, I'm going to direct to you. I think it's up your alley. Why slash how do journalists get away with some of the ridiculous articles they publish? For instance, Mason slash Sterling, etc. Stories that are utter garbage and pure clickbait. Why are they still respected enough to continue writing with no ousting? Hashtag I am the whole heart emoji. Um, what do you make of this? It, are, are they writing fact? Or are they writing what we like to call in the industry alternate truths? Mm. Um, <clears throat> I like that. Is it alternative it's, facts? It's is not. It, it, I mean, it's it? it's not. It's all. It's an alternate world that they're trying to make. Either. There's a difference between someone who has sources and uses them well, and uses them maybe responsibly, um, and other people who just literally call the same five people every day and go, what have you got? Um, and at the same time, some people will print anything because they're desperate, and I think uh, you have to look at the diversity of great journalists out there that are reporting. Sometimes they'll get it wrong. Sometimes they'll get it right. I think ultimately a lot of them also sort of... Um, make themselves feel better by the fact they sort of say, well, it's only football. I got up, you know, it's all right. Um, and I'm, you know, I've got, I think some people consider themselves successful if they have say one in 10 hits in terms of transfer room. I'm sort of assuming it's transfer rumors. There are some shit stories and story writers out there in general. Most people uh, online get forgiven right now. And it's as simple as the fact that if you can write something that gets clicks, then you are making your website money. And a lot of editors are in desperate need of that. And they see it as a fair moral choice that if you click on those things um, and it makes the website money, which means they can print good articles to balance out all the bad that they write, they feel morally OK about that. And to some extent, I agree. Uh, I also think it's a short term fix for a very long term problem, uh, which hopefully will be fixed by people like Google and people like Facebook, who will be very good at organising and displaying information at some point in the future, but they are not right now. In case you're unaware of the Raheem Sterling I'm not, I'm story not, that's doing yeah, the rounds in the British press this week, uh, it is the fact that the Manchester City star has slashed the asking price of his old house by £500,000 to a mere nine hundred fifty thousand um, pounds, uh, he's now asking for. He's taken a half million off the asking price, yeah. um, and he's bought a three point one million pound house with. Looks a very nice house actually. 
There's a, to be fair, there's been yeah, a lot of stories yeah, about that with Sterling, though, where he's either spending money or something and they portray him as some kind of flash so-and-so. Yeah, or there was one... The daftest one I've seen so far is the... In Poundland. No, no, it wasn't that. It was... Um, they took swipes at him because his car wasn't clean. Yeah. Um, we had focused on his property and vehicle. It's, it's also the portfolio. part of celebrity culture, isn't it? I mean, it, yeah. you know, I mean, I hate to sort of uh, explain the fucking obvious, but I mean, it's it's stupid, isn't it? And also, I, I think some people were shameless this week in the way that they covered um, a player's head injury. Uh, yes. And, um, you know, people used, uh, you know, really sensationalist wording to cover something that needed um, a much more reserved approach and something that maybe would be a little less worrying, not only for fans, but also for the people that know him. There's a lot of nuance to this situation, really. So if you take the Sterling story, for example, that is someone writing a a sort of catchy, clickbaity type story where, again, they'll have written that because they know the last story they wrote like that probably got a lot of clicks. And that does generate ad revenue, and that unfortunately dictates a lot of what's done in this industry. Something like the Mason situation, I would say that's partly a, a drive for numbers. It's also someone not applying the proper due diligence to being given information. So I read a story before Christmas that Rigobert Song had passed away. So I posted it on my Twitter feed, and it turned out the source was complete uh, bollocks, for want of a more eloquent word. So there's instances like that where it's a genuine mistake that's made. There are also, as I say, those who just want to do it to be first, not to be right, which is incredibly dangerous and not something I would ever advise because, again, a mistake like that is detrimental to the person in question and then on a much smaller level to you as an individual. There is also situations, though, and we talk about this more relevant to the transfer stuff where, and I had this happen to me, an agent will reach out and say, look, this person is going here and that story checks out and they'll do maybe two or three, knowing in the back of their mind that they've got a client that they want to push somewhere and they want to use you as the conduit to do that. So I had that happen where he gave me a few stories. They all checked out. They all came true. I looked you know, fairly knowledgeable. Then there was an instance where he said, OK, this guy is going to this place. Now, I was fortunate that I knew someone at that club. So I rang them and said, look, this person has said it's, this is what's happening. And they quite point blank told me, never heard of this guy. I've run it by our sporting director. He's not someone we're looking at or anything like that. And it saved me writing a story that would have looked really daft because it wasn't even close. But the guy wanted that traction. And then when I called him out on it, he didn't really have much to say and, and stopped reaching out. So it's... It's not always as malicious as you might think. Sometimes it's genuine, genuinely being led up the garden path by someone else who's been duplicitous. Is that who we think? Is that who I think it is, Chris, or is it someone else? There's a good chance it's who you're thinking. Cool. I muted him a long time ago. We're done. Anyway, let's move on to what I like a quick fire round because we're running out of time here. Uh, on the front three so i'm going to give you each one question each but i want a quick fire answer we're talking 20 seconds or less preferably uh dave i'm going to come to you first ardash salian asks what do you think of the allegri to arsenal rumors what effect would he have on that side hold on i'm just getting my timer up i want to nail this mate right sure it's not wasting time to do that yeah lost five seconds already 
Let's go. Yeah. For our first, I think Allegri would bring, bring a lot of tactical flexibility to this Arsenal team. That sometimes under Wenger doesn't look very flexible. Look at Luke Wolf. What he's done at Juve this season, switching between a 4-4-2, a 4-4-2 diamond, a 3-5-2, a 3-6-1, a 4-3-3. It's absolutely fantastic and would really evolve this Arsenal team. Given the players that are there, uh, would be fantastic, Adam. And that is my 20 seconds over now. Very good, Dave. Um, you sort of gave yourself a little head start, though. But um, let's move on to <laughs> Lawrence. Connor Great. O'Reilly says, Are people, in brackets, media... Too obsessed with the cult of the manager, leading to less analysis on the actual football. Your 20 seconds starts now. A cult of the manager is something that's been cultivated over time. Barney Renee wrote a very good book called The Manager about it. It's very, uh, very much worth a, a read. Um, I, I do think that some people are... Basically, it's easy reporting. <laughs> We've already spoken about this Four, already. Uh, other people... Do 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 good reporting. One, they just don't put two, it out there. Uh, oh, not bad. You finished on the buzzer. Um, I know because I was timing it myself. Uh, Chris, easier question for you to do in twenty seconds. So feel free to elaborate. Let's talk about the championship. Connor Roof asks, "Who will be promoted from the championship this season?" Let's you dare speak over me and you go for the bold <laughs> choice of the top two plus. Randomly, who's going to win those playoffs? Ready, steady, mm-hmm. go. What does field? And only one team to win the playoffs. No, no. What do you want? The whole thing. Uh, I want the team. As I said, Huddersfield is going to win the playoffs. And who's going to be the the top? Oh, two? the top two. Yeah, the top two is going to be the top two. I thought that's what you said in the question. We assume that the top two are going up. Who's going to win the playoffs? 20 seconds, mate. Sorry, Chris, so, you're 20 seconds up now. Yeah, unfortunately. Well over, mate. Well over. Because the questionnaire had a stroke while trying to ask Chris, 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 mate. Chris, you don't. The, the time master is the time master. It went assuming the top two go up. Who's going to win the playoffs? Huddersfield. No, I yes, said including the top, the top two. two as in, tell me the top two, you know. Oh, unbelievable. Chris. The top two are You lose tonight's quick fire round. Uh, Dave Lawrence, you win. Hold on a minute. Uh, first of all, the top two podcast is getting way too much promotion on this one. Way and then also, too much. also uh, I, I landed exactly on 20 seconds. I'm the winner. You're right, actually. Lawrence, Lawrence does win. He, he, he landed on the buzzer. Dave tried to give himself an extra seconds. five seconds. He tried to give himself time to prepare. I'm afraid Lawrence wins. Uh, Dave, you need to shut fire. your beautiful mouth. Right, before it gets too contentious, let's just wrap up. And you know what? I time myself, Adam. That's why I... I waited. I tried to get my, my your problem, timer out of my phone your to play it fairly. Time waits for no Unbelievable. man, Dave. Bloody Dave you know time. I'll um, tell you what, I'm going to fucking build a time machine and I'll bloody rule time, eh, Adam? Mate, sounds like an amazing plan. I would love to see that. Yeah. Uh, guys, thank you so degree. much for listening to the Front for Q&A podcast. It's been a pleasure to have you here. It's been a pleasure recording. Uh, we've all had a fantastic time. We hope you have too. Until Monday, when we'll be back with our weekend review, as always, Lawrence McKenna, where can the good people find you and your work this week on the internet? Uh, Good question. This week, you'll be able to find me on the vlog, I think this Friday. I've got a choice of a couple of things, uh, and I think we're going to put out something from Germany. Mm, I love Germany. Great choice. worth a look. Uh, Chris Hennage. Where can the whole find more of you this week? Where can they find more of your beautiful mind? 
at the front three, um, where you can also read the profile on Alexander Isak. Lovely stuff. Dave O'Brien, where can people find more of your face and words? Well, I'm running around, uh, probably be running around Victoria Park and Hackney Marshes tomorrow. I've got to run 14 mar- miles in 14 the marathon marathons in schedule. One um, Incredible. So, yeah, it's going to take me a while. So, if you want to cheer me on, give me a high five. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Give me some water. That'd be great. So anywhere in Victoria Park, if you see me running, I'll be wearing orange trainers um, and probably a blue top. Uh, Dave, yeah, just what marathon are you go running? Go for it. And we're running the Paris Marathon. I will be setting up a just giving page for a very good charity very soon. So make sure Front when three. it's set up, I will down, give you, you know, a substantial amount doshing. of money. Uh, and I hope. Oh uh, yeah, are we allowed to do that? Are we allowed to plug charity stuff? Uh, oh, of course. Apparently, yeah. Uh, my missus is doing a half marathon for a dog and cat shell. So yeah, if you want to join it, get in touch with Kristen. Finger guns. Um, I'm I'm trying to self fund a, a small documentary project. Yeah. Um, if you guys want to fund cash my, my life, <laughs> please please contribute to my personal Patreon, where you can uh, contribute to my lifestyle, my lavish lifestyle. That'll be much appreciated. And it is lavish. I mean, I've been to his flat. He's, he's got two stripper poles. It's quite something. Um, guys, you can find me girlfriend. on Twitter at Adam Boltwood. Please do follow me there. Uh, you can also hear me on the front free, this very podcast. So stay listening. Until you Monday. Who? You involved with Spencer Owen? He's got a girlfriend, mate. Um, okay. I... <laughs> You can see me in the background of hashtag United videos as well. You know, oh yeah, and and apparently in the foreground. And the foreground, you know, don't forget I'm on the Snapchat to hashtag it, whatever Ooh. it may be. Uh, until Monday, have a fantastic weekend. Enjoy the weekend's footballing action, and we'll see you on Monday. <coughs> e.